All right, well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, obviously, we had, I guess, a what more of a one-sided origin affair, probably what we were expecting first time around. But I guess New South Wales still has some things to improve, Tom, and you certainly don't discount any Queensland side coached by Wayne Bennett heading into Game 3. Yeah, 100%, especially considering the games can be played up there at Suncorp Stadium in front of what's now looking like a fully packed house and no doubt we'll be in for an awesome game tomorrow night and it'll be really interesting to see how a couple of these team changes play out especially for the Maroons guys like Corey Allen looking like they might come in at fullback uh, and a few other changes in and around the side with their positioning so yeah really looking forward to it yeah it should be a good game I guess the big issue heading into game two Tom we discussed it here there were articles all over New South Wales and Queensland media questioning I guess whether he was made for the Origin Arena now of course, we're talking about Nathan Cleary. Now, I guess he had, from my point of view, I don't know if whether you agree with this, Tom, I think he had a better game, probably his best game in a Blues jumper. But I feel like the first two games, it's been Cody Walker who has been the half running the show for the for, for the Blues side. I mean, obviously, we know that Cleary got the two try assists. or Well, if, according to NRL.com, he had none, but he got two try assists. But... I just feel like Walker is that guy that seems to be guiding the side around the park better than Cleary is at the moment when, I guess, realistically, Cleary is the one that everybody expects to be leading the show and is not. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that perhaps Cody Walker is doing a better job of leading the side inside the 20, but I think that Nathan Cleary's done a, or did a pretty good job last Wednesday night of getting the side into the spots that they need to be. A couple of nice kicks in there for Adder Car to chase in and uh, really kept the pressure on the wingers, which created a little bit of space on the outside for uh, guys like Cody Walker to really take advantage of. I thought Jack Whiten bounced back with a really nice game, scored that try in the second half there, and uh, Guthrie looked good as well. So, you know, it's all well and good while you're winning. It'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow night because the criticism will come down hard and fast if, uh, if the Blues get done. Yeah, it certainly won't be easy at Suncorp, and especially if they're talking about a potentially packed Suncorp Stadium too, which, you know, some forty some forty thousand Maroons fans and very few Blues fans is not going to be a an easy oppos- an easy uh, I guess atmosphere to overcome. And I guess with Queensland, Tom probably probably the down or the slide for them came when Munster went off the field with that HIA, and you know we know how good he was in Game One and how good he has been for the Storm for the last what three, four, five years now. Sort of, what what do you make of the Queensland changes? Obviously, it looks like Corey Allen is going to start a fullback, which shifts Val home to the wing. Jaden Stewart is going to come back into the side, and Dynamis Louis drops out. Obviously, there's no AJ Brimson as well because of the Liz Frank injury that he suffered in Game 2. Are you expecting, I guess, Allen to play a big role at fullback? And, I guess, moving Dustin moving Holmes to his more traditional role, if that's the right way to put it? Yeah, definitely. I think that we'll see Allen at fullback for large chunks of the game tomorrow night. And I think that will, as you said, really allow Val to play his natural game there on the wing, uh, like we saw a couple of years ago during his premiership campaign at Cronulla, which really was the catalyst for him getting into that Maroon squad in the first place before his stint in the NFL. And I like uh, some of the proposed changes. We've got Kirk Capewell moving into his preferred position out there in the second row. Also, I think that it'd be interesting to see how Edric Lee goes uh, coming in for Xavier Coates. I thought that yeah, Coates copped a bit of a battering last week at the hand of some of the Blues big boppers. Even Clint Gustin got in on the act at one stage. 
uh, bring a nice hit on uh, one of the Queensland backs. And, you know, it, it'll be a completely different story tomorrow night with Cam Munster back into the side for the full game, hopefully. And it'll be interesting to see how Bennett uses Allen at fullback, considering uh, the success that he had with him at, at South during that weight run of form in the season. Yeah, Looms is a... I mean, I know I said it last week that I was expecting, you know, the game to be closer. I mean, it, I get, as I said, I get if a monster doesn't go off, I personally don't think the game finishes at a 24 with a 24 point deficit. Of course, that's taking nothing away from from the Blues, who were the better side throughout large chunks of the game. But we certainly know what Munster brings to the table as a player, Tom. And I guess when when you look at this game, how how do how do the Blues overcome? what is likely to be an incredibly hostile crowd at Suncorp. It's going to be no different to any other origin. Got to win the battle through the middle. You've got Daniel Saifidi and Payne Haas. They did a great job last week of getting the Blues on the front foot early and that allowed guys like Cody Walker and uh, Nathan Cleary to have the time and space they needed to uh, yeah, execute both their running, passing and kicking games. I think that for the Blues, the plan will be much much the same. Kick early, kick often. To guys like Josh Adokar try and pin Queensland in their 20-metre line, you know, to try and uh, win the field position battle. i uh, just reading some stats here that New South Wales have only won two of their last 11 deciders at Suncorp, lost all of their last four, and have only won two of their last 10 at the ground. So uh, definitely a big challenge for Brad Fittler's men, and you know, this will be the real test if they want to uh, continue this mini dynasty they're starting to build. Yeah, they've certainly got a good role on, and, you know, Freddie certainly seems to be able to get the players up for these games and you know as you said a lot is going to come down to those core position players as well Tedesco, Cody Walker, Nathan Cleary, Damian Cook and obviously everyone else chiming in and I guess from from Queensland's perspective Tom obviously they did lose the forwards battle in game two I don't think you know any Queensland fan or Wayne Bennett was going to argue otherwise they are playing at home they are going to have the support of the crowd so I guess two I, I guess two things here number one how much do you think the crowd will play a factor in Queensland's favour? We know that we know what home crowds can do for a team, whether it be international, state or club games. And I guess what what do you think Queensland need to do if they are to get the win in the decider? Yeah, I think the home crowd will really spur their guys on, give them a bit of extra motivation, you know, all, this, all the standard home crowd uh, tendencies. But I think the key is going to be, again, through the middle. Some of the stats were pretty amazing from game two there. The, the Blues had 1,800 run metres to Queensland's 1,100. So an extra 700 run metres, you know, that's where the game was won and lost. On the back of that, the Blues came out, seven line breaks to three. And, yeah, if Queensland can hold on to the ball and much the same as the Blues, take it through the middle, pin the Blues inside the 20-metre line, as they did a great job of doing throughout large stretches of game one, which led to their win, and really just capitalising on all the opportunities that they get given. They're a much better team with Cam Munster on the park. They match up really nicely in the halves now. We've got Munster and Walker as the running five-eighths and Cherry Evans and Cleary as the controlling half-backs. I think the props, very similar. It's going to come down to the outside backs for me. Obviously, they're coming in far more inexperienced than the New South Wales squad, you know, far less fancied. So if Allen can match up with a guy like James Tedesco and you know match the impact that he had in Game 2, that'll go a long way to um, Maroons holding on for victory in Game 3. Yeah, we certainly have some entertaining matchups, and I guess finally for the, you know, for an Origin preview, Tom, we know we know the old saying, you don't change a winning team. But are you surprised that now that he's been cleared to or cleared and fit to play, that we haven't seen 
Ryan Pappenhausen in the 17 for game three? Uh, yes and no. I think that he could definitely have a great impact on the game. I don't think they, there's any doubting about that, especially in that 14 role off the bench. But at the same time, that 4 forward rotation worked extremely well for the Blues during game two and enabled them to to get uh, rack up all those run meters. And, you know, it's hard to argue with a bench of Fanuke and Paul O'Brown and Yo, uh, who all did stellar jobs uh, last Wednesday night. I'll be keen to see on the other side how Harry Grant goes. Obviously, as a Tigers fan, I'd be pretty keen to see him do pretty well uh, in his origin debut after a great season for the club. But I'll be interested to see how they use him, uh, especially in conjunction with Jake Friend, whether we see them straight swap throughout the match or perhaps we see Jake Friend or even Harry Grant shift into the lock role and uh, give a guy like Big Tino Fausto Malawi a break. Yeah, I, I think personally I, I can see that option being the case. I mean, obviously... You know, Tino, we know what he can do. We know how good he has been for the Storm. And, you know, we'd certainly expect that to continue with the Titans next year. But I guess probably he's probably a guy that you want to see his fitness improve a bit more. Obviously, I guess the closest comparison for such a big forward in terms of how often he plays is someone that he's been, I guess, get, getting into a bit of mischief with on the field alongside Payne Haas. Obviously, one for the Blues, one for the Maroons. And I guess for Tino, he's probably... Fitness-wise, he's probably not there eight at 80 minutes yet. So I can certainly see, as you said, you know, Tino will come off and probably more likely that you'd move Jake Friend into the lock role given just his experience and, you know, what he's able to bring to the side. And, you know, we know what Harry Grant can do and he, he did it for the Tigers pretty much all season. So he'll certainly be one to look out for in terms of giving them that extra that extra running running dynamic, certainly if Queensland get quick play the balls as well. Yeah, definitely, and that you know speaks to the disadvantage of the four forward bench is that you don't have that dynamic player like a Grant or a Pappenhausen who can really break the game open. You know, as much as you can uh, rely on guys like Junior Paul or Nathan Brown to really give your side a lift with a big run, as we saw from Nathan Brown in his first hit up over Jake Friend last week. But at the same time, yeah, I don't think we'll be seeing Junior Paul or Nathan Brown, or, sorry, run the length of the field or you know, make any long-distance breaks that could really just turn the uh, momentum of the game uh, just like that. Yeah, look, that's certainly a bit more than a surprise if they did that. And so I guess to wrap wrap up the Origin chat, Tom, are you taking New South Wales in Game 3? Yeah, I am. I think that it'll be a close one, though. I think that this series has mirrored last year pretty nicely where, you know, that second game, bit of a blowout, moving into the decider. And I think that we might see a tight game, but the Blues prevail. Who knows, we might even get another James Tedesco uh, buzzer-beating try to, to finish off the match. Uh, what about you? Well, I mean, I said I said Queensland last week, and uh, yeah, that didn't pan out too well. Look, I, I'm still kind of torn only because, I mean, I guess I should preface this by saying I personally don't support the Blues or the Maroons. I'm one of those guys that just watches Origin for the spectacle that it is. So, you know, I don't want any fan out there to think that you know, I lean one way or the other based on what I say. But I guess I'm torn in the sense that, you know, this series has very much been an inconsistent series for both sides. Obviously, Queensland in game one showed what they could do in the second half, especially the resolve. Then New South Wales in game two showed that with more ball, more possession, more composure, what they could do. And, you know, we had two completely different games. So, I think, like you, Tom, it's going to be incredibly close. And, you know, whether it's Queensland or New South Wales to get the win, I'd be surprised if there's more than a converted try in it. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's shaping up to be a really nice game. For me, just that battle of the backs is so enticing. You know, so much. It's a very similar story to last week and in game one as well. So much uncertainty surrounding that lineup, how they'll gel, how they'll play under Bennett's game plan. We know what the Blues are going to bring, and the question is, can Queensland uh, hold them off? Yeah, well, certainly in for a good one tomorrow night, probably 8.10 seems to be the, the new standard origin kickoff time, so looms to be an interesting one. Can New South Wales go back-to-back, and can Queensland break the duck with their, their baby Queensland side, as as people like to some people like to refer to them as? And in time will tell. And, you know, although all the focus, I guess, is on origin, Tom, there's always always news in rugby league, both good and bad. I guess we'll start with one that it was rumoured for a little while. And I guess given that the Sharks seem to be going through a bit of a, I guess, a forward sort of shift as well. Lots of talk that Andrew Fafita might depart. And obviously they do lack a bit in the forwards. Aiden Tolman for one season, good or bad for the Sharks? Don't mind it, to be honest, though. No, those uh, Sharks fans haven't been too happy with the signing and would probably prefer a, a younger guy coming through. But I think that as long as they can retain some of their younger talent, guys like Billy McGullius and uh, Toby Rudolph as well, I think that yeah, bringing in some experienced players is definitely a great play for uh, John Norris's side. Aidan Tolman, he's been around since 2008, been through the Melbourne system and was part of a, a really successful lineup at the Bulldogs there for a couple of years. I think it speaks a lot to say that you know, even considering that he played uh, for much of the Bulldogs' unsuccessful season in 2020, still holds an, a, a winning win percentage of over 52%. So, you know, I think that a, a guy with his experience and a knowledge of, of some different NRL teams and, you know, what's required to make it in the league, I think that's definitely a good thing to bring into the club. And it's a trend we've seen for a number of years at a number of different teams around the league. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess, you know, we've spoken about it before, how crucial experience is, and I guess... I don't think we can really undervalue how how well or so I get or I guess how important a guy like Tolman is to sides, particularly you know when you got those sort of young guys coming through like the Sharks do, and a lot of uncertainty about their current existing forwards that have that experience. And you know he he was heavily criticised at the Bulldogs, I guess because you know oh you know he, he's taking the last tackle hit up or you know is not doing this not doing that, but I think for the most part, despite that criticism, Tom, even for the Bulldogs last year, Tolman's numbers, whether it was playing 50, 60 or 80, they were relatively consistent across the board. Yeah, definitely. I was just having a look at some of his stats here. Uh, he looks like he averaged over 140 metres per game. You know, obviously it wasn't a, a real strong Bulldogs pack, but he put up uh, almost 2,400 run metres on the season across 17 appearances. So while a lot of uh, fans may want to say that he's passed his best, I think that he's definitely still got a what to give to Cronulla, and I, you know, I think there could be a little bit of an underrated signing moving into next year. Yeah, certainly one to look for, and I guess the presumption is that he partners with partners with Aaron Woods for 2021, but you know, we'll, we'll see whether that's the case. And I guess we move on to something, Tom, that we probably don't see very often in rugby league, and that's of course the story regarding Brent Naden. Now, I guess obviously for those that don't know, just after the grand final, Brent Naden approached the Panthers club. And said to the, said to them, look, I've got a problem. I need to go and get some help. I'm going to check myself into a facility. He did all of that. Seems to be coming along nicely throughout this this rehab process. And obviously, you know, we you know wish Brenton Aiden the best throughout all of it. But I guess it's a bit of a, a change of pace, Tom, to see a player 
put themselves in that position rather than being forced to, in a sense, by the club. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, while it's terrible to see uh, a guy like Brent go through um, some of the issues that he is, as you said, it's a, a great thing that he's seeking the help and uh, voluntarily uh, reaching out and, um, you know, yeah, getting the support that he needs to uh, to knock these, these issues on his head and on their head. And, um, you know, it's been a bit of a mixed year for, for Brent Naden. Obviously, he had that um, alleged racial abuse incident uh, up there in Gosford during uh, one of the matches this year. And, and he was part of the Panthers grand final run. Um, now this. So, you know, fingers crossed that he can return next season and you know, return to some of the form that he experienced this year, because I think definitely the best season of his career so far. And looks like there's going to be some pretty good competition there at Penrith for spots. So fingers crossed he can be right there in the mix next year. Yeah, it'd be inter- interesting to see if all this talk of him leaving eventuates. And, you know, I mean, I guess there could potentially be a wing spot open with all the talk around Josh Mansell not being retained and who certainly is not very happy at the fact that he's not being retained and how things have been done. And I guess that leads us in, into the next little bit, Tom. We know that several sides have been have been linked to Mansell, particularly the Tigers and the Eels. And I guess two questions from your end. Number one, is he a guy that you'd like at the Tigers that could partner David Norfoluma on the wing? And secondly, I guess, and for me as well, obviously, because the Eels are the other side that he's linked to, all this talk that he might be repl- he might be the one to replace Ferguson at the Eels, you know, sort of, would that be the right sort of move for the Eels, or would that or, or would that be a backward step in a way? It's an interesting one. Obviously, I think that he probably fits the Tigers system a little bit better because there's probably a spot open there uh, that they've been leaving open for Josh Adokar, but obviously uh, that move's not going to eventuate for next season. So, you know, he's probably ready made for. Uh, the Tigers system, whereas, yeah, as you said, uh, Parramatta would have to shift Fergo to to account for, for Mansour. But it's going to be interesting to see where he lands. Either way, you know, a combination of Nofaluma and Mansour or Sivo and Mansour is going to be one of the most powerful in the league. Not not the biggest, but uh, definitely one of the strongest. We've seen that how uh, Josh Mansour uh, was able to get Penrith set started on so many occasions this year. Great, reliable finisher, as we saw in the grand final. And you know, who knows? Could be a, a, another one of these little underrated signings for next season. We don't often think of a winger as, you know, a key signing, but for you know, either side, it could definitely uh, be an interesting one that would shake things up. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Mansour certainly had his best season in probably the last two or three years. So obviously, you know, he's riding that high of, you know, not only on his own form, but of Penrith making the grand final. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's interesting that Ferg that the Media consensus seems to be that Fergo is the one that's going to make way. I mean, I know he's he's a lot well, he was years older than Mike Acevo and he's had his fair share of, I guess, niggling injuries and and sort of things that have kept him down a bit. But I think for the most part, I mean, for me personally, and I know other Eels fans think this as well, is for that first what was it, eighteen, seventeen or eighteen rounds where Ferguson hadn't scored, I think people automatically presume that just because he hadn't scored, he was playing badly. But I think when you look at it, he was actually playing better and more consistently than, than Sivo was in terms of rucking it out like Josh Mansour does for the Penrith Panthers, you know, in getting over the advantage line as a winger, putting your hand up to perform. And, you know, I, I think people get stuck in the trap of oh, a winger scores tries and that's all they need to do when realistically the role of a winger has, has changed now compared to, you know, what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I'd be surprised if that move eventuated when 
I think Sebo is probably the winger who I think is under more pressure given how poorly he started, or sorry, how poorly he finished the season. Yeah, you're right. And I think that, you know, it's similar to a guy that we've spoken about throughout the season in Billy Army Kikau in that the difference between their best performance and their worst performance is too large. And that, you know, for guys of their talent, they really should be affecting more games more often. And, you know, I think Josh Mansour is the complete opposite of that. You know what you're going to get from Josh Mansour week in, week out. He's one of the most consistent performers in the NRL. You know, even when he's not scoring tries like Ferguson, he's, you know, putting in with his runs, getting getting over the advantage line and getting teams on the front foot, which is so important, especially under the new six again rules. You know, we saw a guy like David Noffer Wimmer completely turn his career around based off his running game uh, this year. And to be honest, I don't really see him going to Parramatta. I think that, you know, Mike Sebo is too much of a, uh, you know, a cult hero over there at Bank West. And, you know, I think there'd be you know, outrage amongst many Parramatta fans. I'm sure you'd probably agree with with that, you know, for, for the more casual NRL supporter. And, you know, I think that we might find him in a club like the Tigers or the Bulldogs instead. Yeah, I'll say this, just deviating for a second. It's, this is certainly a make or break year for Sevo, given how poorly, I guess, he was he played. Well, pretty much it went... I think it was one the week that he, he absolutely steamrolled Tedesco, he was on top of the world. Then a couple of weeks later, he got steamrolled by Brad Parker. And I think that sort of just uh, sort of killed any momentum that Sevo had. So, you know, we sort of, as Eels fans, we sort of, you know, we look to guys like Mansell, Brian To'o, you know, David Norfoluma, who they're not big guys in their own right, but when they run, when they run the football, they run the football. You know, Sevo sort of pandered about, and that was a big, a big issue for a lot of Eels fans. But you never know; 2021 could be different, and hopefully, it is for for Sevo's sake, and especially as we watch this winger merry-go-round continue. Yeah, definitely. And Mike Sevo coming off contract at the end of the year, so we so we see on so many occasions that uh, guys play particularly well in their their contract or in the year leading up to their contract expiring. So you know, perhaps we might be in for another big year for. Fiji and fire in 2021. Well, let's hope so after that, that that poor showing at the back end. But I guess move, move, continuing on with the Tigers, Tom, but probably one that I guess was a bit is for me personally. I you know I, I read the rumours and then the Titans confirmed it and it surprised me. And I mean I'm sure you as a Tigers fan are probably more disappointed than anything in the fact that Sam McIntyre has obviously signed with the Titans and. It sort of came out of left field. I mean, there was all these first all these talks, you know, about that was about Mansour and it was about other players at O'Carr and and whatnot. And all of a sudden, the Titans confirm his signing and and he's gone. I mean, it's a bit of a shock considering that he was probably, I guess, that emerging forward that that came out towards that middle end and then and then back part of the 2020 season. Yeah, it was a bit of a disappointing one, I think. You know, for many Tigers fans. Other, uh, fans of other clubs might not know too much about him, but he played 12 games this year and uh, mostly off the bench as a, a middle forward. And he provides great versatility. He can play prop, lock, or in the second row. And, you know, I thought he was going to be a real uh, stalwart of the pack for years to come at the Tigers, but not to be. I think it's interesting that he's chosen to go to the Titans. Obviously, money might have been a little bit of a factor with the Tigers holding off some funds for some marquee signings. But, you know, the Titans... Resigned a couple of forwards. They've got guys like Dave Fafida and Tino Fasamuawi coming in next season. Uh, Herman Sasa as well. So you know there's not going to be a lot of room in that Titans pack. So you know he might be starving himself of a little bit of opportunity there. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But 
yeah, as a Tigers fan, pretty disappointing, especially when you consider as well the rumours floating around today about Josh Awe leaving the club as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I guess two points on that. I mean, I think personally I can see him squeezing into the 17, probably off the bench like he has been for the Tigers. And, you know, I would say for David Fafita might be the only one to play 80 out of he, Tino and SASA, who I would predict are going to be the, the, the two starting back rowers and lock respectively. And, you know, I mean, he might only play 30-odd minutes, but that could be enough to make an impact. And, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, when you, when you look at it from from the Tigers' perspective, just, you know, he certainly seemed to be a guy that was going to be able to, you know, work under someone like James Tamau, who has been there, done that. He's won a premiership. He's, you know, I guess found found a, a new lease on life form-wise, but, you know, was, was pretty good in 2020 for the Panthers. And sort of you sort of had this, I guess almost three pronged forward attack that you could build around in Alloy, Josh Alloy or Gallic Gallic as everyone calls him, uh, Sam McIntyre, and then the incoming Stefano Utoikamanu. And I guess everything's just, it's just been now it's just a complete spanner in the works. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, that that Josh Alloy move quite frustrating to watch as a Tigers supporter. Obviously, you know the Tigers haven't made the best recruitment decisions. That's well known you know, over the past decade or so. But, you know, when you've got rubbish like this happening, I mean, what's a contract worth to anyone anymore? You know, it might as well just be handshake deals in the NRL from now on because, you know, LEA still contracted uh, for an, another couple of years, regarded as a leader at the club. I know uh, Tigers chairman came out today and said that, that LEA had come to a meeting a couple of months ago and said he was excited about his future at the club. And, and obviously it's all come out today that he said that he doesn't want to wear the jersey anymore. So, you know, I think that this just speaks to what a business the NRL has now uh, become. And obviously, I think we might be seeing some contract reform coming up in the next few years. I think that's for sure. Yeah, we certainly have to. It's certainly something for the NRL and, and the the Rugby League Players Association to look at because, you know, not the first time. It probably won't be the last time unless they do something about it. And I guess as well, we, we sort of see it happening to, I guess, not as not as in much of a, a disgruntled state as it seems to be with, with Ally I, Tom, but Jerome Hughes is linked to what the reports say is seven different clubs. I mean, is is Hughes a guy that you that you look at and, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, when a Storm player leaves and goes elsewhere, their form diminishes. Is Hughes a guy that you think can be just as productive elsewhere outside of the Storm system? I think it would largely depend on which system he joined. Obviously, if you, look like a, uh, if you look at a club like the Roosters, we saw how Cooper Cronk fit uh, so well into that Roosters lineup after moving up from Melbourne. And, and I would think that that probably wouldn't have been the case for every club. You know, if you move to a less, uh, to, you know, a less successful team, it's probably a lot uh, more difficult to integrate and uh, have to draw up a, a larger new playbook. Uh, whereas, you know, if, if you joined a, a team that was well-established, you know, you could just slot in and, play his natural game there. I think it's pretty amazing uh, how he's progressed over sort of the last year and a half. It was only, I think I said it last week, but it was only, uh, you know, last year and the year before that he was considered to be, you know, a decent fullback prospect to replace Billy Slater, you know, alongside guys like Munster and Drinkwater and uh, Ryan Pappenhausen. And now he's turned into, a, you know, one of the top halfbacks in the league, a premiership winning halfback. And, you know, it's going to be exciting to see where his career goes from here. And uh, it'll be super interesting to watch uh, for the next couple of years. Yeah, it certainly will be. And I mean, I guess the links to elsewhere are surprising. Obviously, 
you know, the Storm are going through a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a turnover of their own with, you know, the first time in what some 16, 17 years that Cam Smith is not going to be in the Storm system. And so there's certainly money there to, you know, to utilize. And I guess that's why it looks like Adokar will stay for 2021 as well, because the Storm have, you know, I think given him an extra 100k or so. And when you look at the other signings that they've made or re-signings, it's not really like, you know, well-known sort of guys, Tom. So you'd have to imagine that the Storm have the funds to, I guess, bump up Hughes, the, you know, a new deal for Hughes to convince him to stay. Yeah, it could be part of their negotiation tactics there. Obviously, you know, we saw with Adokar, they came out and low-balled him a little bit and then bumped up the offer to sweeten it at the last minute and retain him. I think that the Storm uh, reports are that they fell pretty well short of his asking price, which is about $700,000. Uh, whereas clubs like you know the Warriors, the Tigers, and the Titans were willing to pay around 900 for him, so it'd be interesting to see what happens. So you know whether he's worth 900 after arguably one or two good seasons at halfback, it's tough to know. You know, if, especially in the past, the guys that have attracted that sort of money have been well proven and established superstars of the league. And you know, I don't think that anyone's really ready to call Jarim Hughes. Uh, any of those terms just yet, but he could be well on his way to to that level of form. Yeah, it's a lot of money, that's for sure. I mean, that's you know, it's typically the sort of money that we associate with guys like Cooper Cronk when he was playing. You know, Jason Tamalolo, James Tedesco. You know, these guys that are genuine game breakers every time they touch the ball. And Hughes, as good as he is, like you said, it's really only been you know even even just eighteen months of solid, consistent halfback form. So. I mean, look, if a team wants to pay 900k to him, <laughs> I guess go for it. But there'll certainly be a lot of conjecture as to whether he's worth that much. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, as you mentioned, with Cam Smith coming off the books and uh, Melbourne not having probably a, as many high-level uh, superstars to retain into the future, it might see him stay down there at Melbourne into the future as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I guess sticking with Melbourne, obviously they signed Remus Smith from the Bulldogs for two seasons. I mean... I guess the Storm needed outside backs, Tom. We know that, you know, Vunivalu is definitely gone. He's going to be off to the Queensland Reds for at least the next couple of seasons. And, you know, they've signed George Jennings. They've re-signed Branko Lee. You know, Justin Ollum is still there in the centres for next year at least as well. George Jennings came on board. So, you know, they've certainly got some healthy competition there. And, you know, I guess it's a, it's a good thing to have when, you know, you're heading into a, a potential... I guess a very different season with no Cam Smith. Yeah, and this just absolutely reeks of one of those Melbourne signings that, you know, a guy that hasn't really lived up to his potential since his debut season uh, in 2016. Had a couple of rough years where he's been in and out of the squad at the Bulldogs. Faced a bit of competition from a couple of different guys. And, you know, now he's going to get, you know, he might now he might get a bit of an extended chance in that storm system. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him turn back into the gun that he was uh, when he first started out at the Bulldogs. I think that, you know, he's going to form a really exciting combination there. If he plays center, he could link up with a guy like Ado Carr or otherwise on the wing. We've seen this season Branko Lee go down there and all of a sudden become an origin player for Queensland. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we see um, Remus Smith really make the most of his opportunity down there under Craig Bellamy. Look, wouldn't be the first time. I mean, you know, you only have to look at Storm players that have won a premiership you know, guys like Brian Norrie, Jamin Lowe. I mean, 
think it's worth noting that Craig Bellamy, obviously, you know, would, would have had a part in Smith joining. And, you know, Brian Norrie was about to give up rugby league. He was bartending and he was a bartender at some pub in, in a in country New South Wales. And Craig Bellamy throws him a chance, turns him into a superstar prop, wins, or, wins, a, wins a premiership. And, you know, how many times have we seen Bellamy do that? And as you said, Tom, I wouldn't be surprised if Remus is, is any exception to that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I guess probably two surprising ones to finish us off, Tom, firstly with the fact that, I guess, former Storm player Will Chambers reportedly eyeing a return to the NRL with the Brisbane Broncos, at least according to some reports from the Courier-Mail. I mean, do the we, we know what Chambers can do, obviously. he was He's played Origins, played for Australia, was a relatively consistent centre for the Storm as well. Obviously, you know, left because they needed to free up some funds and whatnot. But is he a guy that could be a good fit for the Broncos, particularly given that it looks like a Tony Staggs won't be ready to start the season? Uh, interesting one. Obviously, you know, he's getting on a little bit there at 32. He's probably not the explosive centre that he once was. But at the same time, we've seen him uh, successfully return from rugby union before. He, Started out his career at Melbourne in 2007, went away to rugby in 2010, and then came back two years later after playing for the Queensland Reds and, you know, reintegrated himself really well into that Melbourne system. You know, under Kevy Walters, we've seen him in that origin squad before. So, you know, perhaps it might be one that plays out. Don't know how match fit he is, though. Obviously, uh, he went away to Japanese rugby recently, and I'm uh, not, not 100% across uh, how many games they've played this year due to COVID, but I can't imagine it'd be too many. And, you know, he'd have to get back in, uh, on the park for a little while before he's ready to join the NRL again. Yeah, it, it is an interesting one. I mean, I think if if it was a link to the, I mean, for me personally, I think if if it was if he was linked to the club and Katoni Staggs wasn't injured, I'd be surprised because we know that the Broncos are very reliant on their kids. But I mean, I guess I think the fact that the Broncos seem to be lacking experience and you know, they're probably, they've already lost some more experience heading into 2021. And given the fact that Stags probably isn't going to play for the first, I think the reports at the moment are about the first eight to 10 weeks. And there's probably no ready-made replacement in the Broncos setup that can just slot into centre. I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, now whether Chambers can get that form, that as you said, Tom, once he returned from that first rugby union stint and sort of, you know, changed his game, his style, and became an elite centre or very close to it, whether he can do that at the Broncos in a very different system around, I guess, much more inconsistent and inexperienced halves and a team in general remains to be seen. But I think there's probably slightly more good than bad, I think, but I don't think it'd be anything that you would certainly, you know, you wouldn't offer him a three-year deal. I mean, if, if, if it was me at the Broncos... I'd say, right, here's one year and, and then we go from there. Yeah, I think I sort of align with that line of thinking. And as you said, I, if Katoni Staggs was in, I definitely wouldn't be signing Will Chambers. But well, because I think uh, Staggs and Farnworth are their, center, uh, their long-term centre combination moving forward. But yeah, a little bit of experience coming out of where it's been a really tough year for the Broncos. You know, a guy like Will Chambers could definitely provide that. He certainly could, and I guess a bit of a surprise in some ways, Tom. I mean, we know he's had concussion issues, and 
I guess that's played a part in the Newcastle Knights' decision to release him early, you know, a couple of years out from from his contract end date. Obviously, Sione Matauti, it's not confirmed, but the belief is that he's going to go to St. Helens, who he'll, he'll actually partner alongside Ignatius Parsi, who is also on his way there. And I guess, was it a bit of a surprise that the Knights seemed to part ways with Matauti easily, if that's the right word to use, Tom? Or was it, I guess, something expected, given that, like a few players in the league, he struggled with with concussion quite a fair bit in the last... 18 to 24 months. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And obviously, as well as the player welfare aspect of concussion, we're now looking at with guys being uh, rested and mandatory cooling down periods, you know, guys who are prone to concussion are potentially missing games for their club and that's going to decrease their value moving forward. And I think that Matadi is a little bit of a, a victim of, of the new process. Obviously, he's going to benefit in the long term through his health. But in terms of his, you know, his on-field career, I think that, with all the concussion protocols that are around these days, it's so risky to have guys uh, like Matadia in your in your side who are prone to concussion. And you know, fingers crossed for him that he can uh, avoid those issues over at St Helens. And you know, it'd be pretty interesting to see how he goes up against uh, brother Peter at the, uh, at the Castlewood Tigers over there. We might get uh, we we saw them uh, play alongside each other for large chunks at the the Knights, and as, uh, we got a little preview of them up against each other when Peter played for the Dragons, but be interesting to see what happens when the two brothers come up against each other over there. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be pretty funny if we see a, a little uh, do-over in a way of the when when Brett and Josh Morris were playing against each other, the, the fake punch-up and just that sort of, you know, brotherly love sort of stuff. So it, it'll be good to see. And, you know, I mean, I guess it's, it's two pretty strong signings for St. Helens as well, who I guess <laughs> probably, don't, probably don't need them in a way, given how well they're performing. Obviously, they won the Super League last year, but... Can't complain when you can sign Ignatius Parsi and Sione Matauti for, net for what looks like a couple of seasons, Tom. Yeah, definitely not. We've seen a lot of NRL players go over there and have a lot of success in recent years. A couple of names that come to mind. Walkman Coote, you know, pretty much unwanted there at the Cowboys by the end of his time. and You know, he's gone up and torn it up over there. We've seen Blake Austin and, uh, from the Raiders and the Tigers move over and have a lot of success. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that could desperately use a a little bit of NRL uh, experience in their in their lineups because you know just that experience in the professional system over here uh, definitely does them a world of good. It certainly does, and look, that wraps it up for a, another week of Take the Two. Once again, thank you to the listeners in Australia, England, New Zealand, Ireland, Germany, and what appears to be a sole Turkish listener. If you're listening to this episode and other episodes, thank you and. May the international flavour of the podcast continue. Yeah, definitely. Enjoy the game, everyone, tomorrow night. It should be a ripper.